BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and welcome to The Great America Show. Thank you for being with us. It's beginning to look as though the Marxist-Dem Biden regime is beginning to pay attention to the polls, and they're trying to clean up their optics a little. Attorney General Merrick Garland Friday held a press conference to announce the indictments of several Chinese companies and executives for manufacturing and supplying fentanyl to the Mexican drug cartels to smuggle in over our wide-open southern border and distribute throughout the United States, in the process killing hundreds of thousands of Americans since Biden took office. The Attorney General was asked during a Q&A about why Americans have lost faith and confidence in both the FBI and the Justice Department. And the corrupt Attorney General did no more than blather. I certainly uh, understand that, that some have chosen to attack the integrity of the Justice Department as components and its employees by claiming that we do not treat like cases alike. Uh, this constitutes an attack on an institution that is essential to American democracy and essential to the safety of the American people. Attorney General Garland under fire for the DOJ reportedly dragging their feet after learning about a bombshell revelation from an IRS whistleblower who was working on the Hunter Biden case. That whistleblower testified to the House Ways and Means Committee that the Department of Justice was aware of a text message that Hunter Biden sent to his boss in China, in which he said his father, Joe Biden, was sitting in the room with him at that very moment, and Hunter demanded that the Chinese shore up their side of the deal. President Biden has maintained that he never knew or heard of any of Hunter's business dealings. We now have evidence he knew all about Hunter's deals. The whistleblower says U.S. Attorney for Delaware David Weiss was told not to bring felony charges against Hunter Biden, and Garland denied that ever happened. Yesterday, whistleblower testimony came out from an IRS supervisory special agent, current supervisory special agent, who insists he was in a meeting with U.S. Attorney David Weiss, who in October 2022 claimed in front of multiple people that he was told not to pursue the Hunter Biden investigation, not to bring charges in 2022. You said previously you stayed out of the Hunter Biden investigation. It's been on David Weiss to figure that out. Can you once and for all shed a little light? There seems to be a little confusion on what's going on here. Uh, I'd be happy to. As I said at the outset, uh, Mr. Weiss, who was appointed by President Trump as the U.S. attorney in Delaware and assigned this matter during the previous administration, would be permitted to continue his investigation and to make a decision to prosecute any way in which he wanted to and in any district in which he wanted to. Mr. Weiss has since sent a letter to the House Judiciary Committee confirming that he had that authority. I don't know how it would be possible for anybody to block him from bringing a prosecution, given that he has this authority. And he was never told no? I'd say he was given complete authority to make all decisions on his own. 
So who are we to believe? Multiple government whistleblowers who've come out and told us that the FBI has coordinated protection to cover the Biden family? Or a corrupt DOJ that is persecuting a former president? And 70% of Americans say that indictment of President Trump was politically motivated. While the Biden family is trying to cover up their mess here at home, Joe Biden sent his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, over to China to get further orders, perhaps, from President Xi. Biden bowed and he scraped and then told the Chinese that the Biden regime no longer supports Taiwanese independence. And if that weren't bad enough, President Biden blundered at a fundraiser in California where he not only leaked top-secret intelligence, but then called President Xi a dictator, mistakenly saying the truth. The Biden mess just got bigger, and another foreign military base in Cuba could provoke yet another Cuban Missile Crisis. To take all of this up and more, we bring in China expert and author Gordon Chang and retired Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer. Gordon, Tony, great to have you with us here on The Great America Show again. Let's begin with President Xi. He says it's a provocation that our impaired president called him a dictator. Your reactions first, Gordon. Well, Xi Jinping demands absolute obedience from everybody in the world, inside China and outside. So I don't get too upset that he is called a dictator. Um, But the thing about this incident, which concerns me, is that nobody would have paid attention to President Biden calling Xi Jinping a dictator if the Chinese hadn't made such a public issue of it. And this means, Lou, that Beijing is looking for a fight. Wow. Tony, your thoughts? It's a Streisand effect. Absolutely. I mean, uh, who listens to Joe Biden anymore? I mean, come on. He says so much nonsense. It's like, really? But you're going to pull that out? But Gordon's correct. I mean, if you just look back uh, over the Tony Blinken visit, uh, all the soft words and uh, uh, complacence, I mean, uh, anything that was said, Lou, of any relevance had to be put in the softest possible language to Beijing to include, I would say, that uh, up to the very end, because uh, Xi held up to the very end of, of Lincoln's visit before they saw him. I don't think Lincoln knew it was coming. And if you just watch the photographs, Lincoln is just like a little puppy dog seeing his master for the first time. And if you look at the words used about uh, agree to stabilize the relationship, really? I don't think the Chinese agree to that. And I think, as Gordon said, they're looking to pick a fight, and they're going to pick anything that's said that they believe they can make hay out of to make hay out of it. You know, following up to what Tony said, Gordon, uh, the pictures of Blinken tell a very large story. He looks subdued, but, but worse, submissive. Uh, as he is standing there, and with the the picture of the two of them, she and Blinken, she is not even looking at him, not even addressing him. Uh, it, it, the worst kind of optics that one could imagine from well, what looks to be a disastrous meeting with the foreign minister and with the the dictator of China. Uh, what in the world uh, was the Biden administration doing in thinking of, of, of dispatching Tony Blinken, of all people, over to China? Yeah, this was a mistake from the very beginning. Um, Blinken was supposed to go to Beijing sometime in February, and that was postponed because of China flying a spy balloon over the United States. 
what the U.S. tried to do, and specifically Blinken, was to try to repair relations. Um, and that's wrong. I mean, if anybody should have been trying to repair relations, it should have been China. But the, I, I think the Chinese Communist Party has gotten the full measure of President Biden, and they realize that they can push him around. You know, what Tony was and you were saying about uh, Blinken um, being looking like a puppy dog, it reminded me of what happened at the G7 in November of last year, where um, Biden agreed to go to Xi Jinping's hotel for their one-on-one -on -one meeting. And we saw the optics, something very similar. Xi Jinping standing in the middle of the room and Biden walking to him. And that really is an indication that Biden was willing to accept a submissive position. Now, people can say, well, this is just sort of diplomatic niceties, doesn't really matter. Yes, it matters. And it matters because the Chinese are now very arrogant. They think they can do anything they want. They have utter disrespect for the United States. And that's going to lead them to do something extremely dangerous. So this does matter, Lou. It does matter, and it uh, the world is watching all of this, uh, and and I suppose that's a cliche, perhaps the, a cliche of the worst sort. Uh, I don't want to suggest that I care too much about what any other country in the world thinks of us, but right now it it, it looks like those perceptions might might significantly shape future reality. When we have a president who stumbles and trips over the word dictator by speaking truth, even the impaired president came up with truth, and the <laughs> the powerful dictator who leads China is offended, provoked, and ready. Well, you know, Lou, um, I don't agree with Henry Kissinger on most things, but I certainly um, agreed with his assessment that he gave on June 7th to Bloomberg's editor-in-chief when uh, Kissinger said uh, he believed that war with China was probable. And um, that's where we're going. Um, and it's, it's probable for a number of reasons. It's complicated, but essentially you can sort of um, break it down into this notion that deterrence is eroded. The Chinese are not deterred. They're going to do something. Um, and it's because I think that Xi Jinping sees so many troubles internally that he has no answer for, except, of course, for rallying the Chinese people with a war of some sort. And we've got to be concerned that that's where China is heading. China is preparing for war. It's preparing its military. It's mobilizing its civilians. It's purging general officers, generals and admirals uh, of those who don't want to go to war. This is exceedingly perilous at this moment. And let me try to help give some additional details to back Gordon completely, as if he needs backup, he doesn't, but I, I, I want to help illustrate what he's saying. I think this is a Venezuela issue where Venezuela, I'm not Venezuela, uh, when uh, we had the issue with the Falkland Islands, when the Falkland Islands were invaded uh, to, to divert uh, certain things from Argentina, from their problems internally. And uh, one of the things that I found most frightening, Lou, regarding what Gordon is saying is what Blinken said. Blinken actually said he had, quote unquote, no progress to report, but he did say during that commentary session that we, the United States, do not recognize Taiwan and it being a democracy. That was a flat out statement of policy. And to me, the time frame, we may differ on our time frame, but that to me kicked off uh, a five year uh, timeline that the Chinese will act within. 
and I mean act as in war, because I see this as 1938, Chamberlain, peace for our time, and the countdown it started to Sudetenland and the Germans, the Nazis, there's a dictator for you, Hitler taking the Sudetenland back to put under German control, which was Czechoslovakia essentially. So I see this as Chamberlain's moment. I see this this moment in time when 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 Blinken said that, that was the, the same as Blink as as Chamberlain giving up, giving up uh, the Sudetenland. And so I think that it's only a matter of time. And another quick couple points: the Chinese invested greatly in, in reorganizing their military. As Gordon said, they're actually paring it down and making it more lethal and more effective. They've actually picked out a new small arms weapon. A new series of weapons have abandoned the, 90, the Type 95 assault weapon and created a new one, which actually does most of what ours do. And they've actually restructured and organized around a, a, a fleet invasion of Taiwan that they can do in a very short order. They've got a new aircraft carrier they're building. It's supposed to be as good, but it's not going to be as the uh, the latest of our supercarriers, the, uh, the, the Gerald R. Ford. Uh, so they're doing everything they can to prepare militarily for what I believe, and Gordon just uh, forecast, as, a, as an upcoming conflict between they, them and us. And we open the door for it policy-wise. Well, we don't even have to infer war as an intent uh, and perhaps uh, ultimately a, a reality because she has made it very clear that he wants the Chinese people to be ready for the, as he put it uh, in his in his language, uh, to be ready for the worst scenario, his generals, his military ready, uh, and, and the people of China to be prepared. And that date he put on it is 2025, is it not, Gordon? He hasn't, I don't think, put a date of 2025, but he has said, dare to fight, and that message has filtered down through the ranks. So, for instance, in April, the Eastern Theater Command of the People's Liberation Army, in other words, the command that will lead the invasion of Taiwan, said it was, quote, ready to fight. So it could be 2023, Lou. Um, Xi Jinping right now is, um, he's at a point where he can't stop talking about war, as you point out. And that shows you his mentality. He talks, as you pointed out, about worst case scenarios, and, and no country threatens China. So really what he's talking about is what could happen um, inside China and what could happen if, for instance, China invades Taiwan or Japan or the Philippines or whomever. I mean, there are so many rich targets on China's periphery. So we don't know where it will be, but it could also be us. Because you got to remember all of these dangerous intercepts in the global commons, in the South China Sea, um, in the Taiwan Strait. This is just the point where, as Tony said, this is 1938 or this is 1939, but you can feel it in the air. People in the region can feel it in the air. And just one other thing, we've already got a war in Ukraine. We also at the same time have China and Russia provoking these insurgencies in North Africa that look like war. Conflict is spreading. And we don't know where this is going to end. Well, we're going to take up what those targets might be should China decide to go to war. And we're going to start with Taiwan. We'll be turning to uh, to Tony. And, uh, and as we continue here on The Great America Show, we'll be back with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? 
Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. We're back now, and uh, thanks for staying with us. Uh, Tony Schaefer. Yes, sir. We know that Taiwan is ultimately the target. Does the United States have now, as a result of the statements of Tony Blinken and the apparent uh, force of the presidency behind him, uh, we will not support Taiwanese independence? Uh, what is our What is our position militarily? Militarily, we've actually had a very robust relationship with Taiwan. We've actually armed them. Uh, there was a series of sales just within the last year of additional weapon systems. And it's been one of those things where I think the United States has talked out of both sides of its mouth. Uh, it's had this one China policy, which I've never personally agreed with. I think it, it just uh, encourages uh, the PRC and CCP to increase their pressure to try to unify, quote unquote, unify Taiwan and creates a dangerous condition. At the same time, the United States and other allies have been working with Taiwan to make sure that they have a certain number of arms and weapons. And the Blinken statement of status quo is disingenuous at best. Uh, and militarily, we, the United States, know, Lou, that Taiwan it, indeed is something we militarily need to defend. There are two uh, entities which really do actually talk about this publicly quite a bit. Uh, a Navy magazine called The Proceedings and their online presence, they talk about this all the time. Very level-headed retired Navy admirals and captains talk about this. By the way, The Proceedings were the ones who actually, uh, back right right after World War One, made some amazing observations and changes uh, to our doctrine, which is actually saved the Navy in World War Two. It's a very outspoken and a very effectively outspoken organization. And other than that, uh, you've seen a handful of folks speaking on military terms, such as London Center and some other organizations. Obviously, Gordon and I talk about this all the time, where we're trying essentially to educate folks. And uh, a handful of things like Forbes has been on top of actually trying to tell the truth about this issue and the resource issue. But uh, what is the truth? Well, the truth is China has stated in doctrine it 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 wants to start dominating the Pacific Rim. And they have essentially, like the Japanese, they studied how the Japanese did it. They're going to start going in waves to obtain uh, more direct control. That's why we see the uh, provocations at sea. They they are provocative, by the way, Lou, to all of our allies, the Australians, the Philippines, the v Vietnamese, uh, South Koreans, because it's a resource issue. They they want the, the, the food. They need the fish. 
They have a huge population, as, as Gordon said. They have internal problems. They have all sorts of things they have to resolve. One of those is food. They're going to be challenging those nations. It's going to be about fuel and food. Because the other thing they need, obviously, coming through the, the South China Straits and the states of Malacca, is uh, Middle Eastern petroleum. They don't have that. That's why they're so hard uh, pressed right now to work with Putin to try to get a, a pipeline in, because they cannot live. Their economy cannot survive, nor will Z survive as a leader if anything happens to their petroleum. So they, like the Japanese, know that they need to secure that if they're going to maintain their uh, aggression. Now, the Japanese knew that when we cut off their fuel, they became more aggressive. We, They know, the Chinese know that there's certain vulnerabilities, but they're gonna do it anyway because they feel it's their right. They are the chosen people of the world. The Han are the chosen people. There's a whole racial aspect of this, which I'm not sure if we have time to get into. But we they don't. believe it is their destiny <laughs> to go after and, and, and rule the Pacific as a beginning and the world, the world ultimately. You, you know, you were talking about 1938 and drawing uh, was. analogs yeah. earlier. Uh, and the analogs are always, you know, apt in, in history. Uh, this is a, a, a regime, the Xi regime, uh, it may be uh, filled uh, and its culture filled with ideas of being the chosen people. But we've heard, we've heard this, this, let me put it this way, we've heard this crap from a lot of countries over the years, and they're all in the dustbin of history. Uh, and China will be exactly the same. Uh, whatever they believe, they're finding out right now uh, that economies have cycles. Uh, they've had wondrous growth, and now they have wondrous uh, problems facing their economy and making them all the more dangerous, in my opinion, because their economy is slowing, their housing is disastrous, their unemployment has now risen to, their young people are uh, unemployed to the tune of just about 20%. Uh, it, is, it is a really critical moment for China. And history teaches us that in the moments of uh, difficult economic times, that is when nations, and particularly ambitious, uh, aggressive nations, are the most dangerous. Don't you think? Don't you think? Lou, absolutely. You know, you talk about youth unemployment. Officially, it was 20.8% last month, but probably higher than that. You're dealing with a whole generation of people who went to college at the insistence of the Communist Party. It needed to do something with them, so they warehoused them in colleges. Now these guys have gotten out, and the you know Xi Jinping has been attacking the tech sector, which means the tech sector is not able to employ them. But when you step back, China's economic problems are, are not just cyclical right now, they're structural. Um, because of the way the Chinese regime has uh, kept the economy going, especially since the 2008 downturn, they've created a massive amounts of debt, which they can't pay back. We don't know exactly how much it is, but this has manifested itself in collapsing property prices and the continuing debt defaults. So you have an economy right now, which probably is not growing. If it's growing, it's like 0.5% or 1%. Um, the, we've seen the import numbers have been down now for eight straight months. Imports are the most important uh, indicator because they show domestic demand. As Tony points out, there's worsening food shortages. You've got the environmental crisis. They have failing local governments. They don't have a solution really to COVID, which COVID is still ravaging China. So you put it all together, and I agree with you, Lou, this is dangerous moment because Xi Jinping has no answers for domestic problems, and therefore 
he's he I think he looks at the uh, international environment and says, I'm going to rally the Chinese people with nationalism, with xenophobia and with what uh, Tony talked about, the hand nationalism. And from this perspective, uh, from the American perspective, to think about war with China or with any other country, with an impaired puppet president as commander in chief, I have to tell you guys, I can't think of anything much more frightening than to have Joe Biden as the president of the United States, the commander in chief, should this country be threatened. And I and I have to believe that 90 percent of the crazed Marxist Dems uh, who voted for this man and organized his uh, his place in the White House would be just as frightened as I am. What in the world are we facing here, Tony? Well, look, I talked to Democrats. I was just out with a few last night who recognize how damaged their party is and how this is going to lead to ruin of everyone, the very fabric of our republic. And I think any any American understands it's not about uh, Democrats and Republicans facing off. It's about uh, Americans facing off against those who are in government compromised. Joe, Gov Joe Biden is compromised. He took money from China. He took money from uh, Ukraine. I, I think he's the, the most effective politician one can buy for the money. I think there was a Babylon Bee uh, funny out yesterday, Lou, that, uh, that showed, said Taiwan regretted not bribing Biden. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like it's a joke, but not a joke. Like, you know, they were regretting we should have got ahead of the line. It's truth. And so I think we have to recognize that we have a political party uh, system that is compromised to certain things that are, that are happening. And my issue is uh, we need to step get ahead of this, Lou, or else we're going to lose the republic. And I, I don't, I'm not trying to be flip about saying that. Well, I, and I'm not trying to be flip when I say to you, I, I don't, it's too late. We're already behind yeah. events. We are behind the eight ball. And we certainly are not uh, in any way prepared for whatever the future holds for us. Your thoughts, Gordon? I can't help but smile at that. Um, you know, you talk about us being unprepared and something that Tony's talked about in the past. You know, we have this surge of Chinese migrants into our country, which is unprecedented. And this is a symptom. There are two things here. One of them is, is it's a symptom of extreme distress in China. And, and these Chinese migrants, by and large, are not poor. These are middle-class Chinese because they can afford to pay $35,000 a head to the cartels to smuggle them into the U.S. But as the great correspondent uh, Michael Yan has said, he is seeing um, increasingly large packs of Chinese males of military age not traveling with family groups who pretend not to speak English. And these groups are coming into the United States. Um, you know, Michael suspects that these are the saboteurs that will wage war on the United States on the first day of a conflict in Asia. And we're not tracking these right. groups. And we um, I think the Biden administration just doesn't care. I mean, this is um, this is a great danger to all of us. Well, perilous times without without doubt. We're talking with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang. We're coming right back right after these words. Please stay with us. back with Tony Schaefer and Gordon Chang. And I, I want to run an idea by you and see what you think about it as we are talking about being prepared for a very uncertain and 
uh, cloudy future for this country and for the globe itself. I can't think of a more advanced technology uh, that is uh, possessed outside the United States than the semiconductor industry in Taiwan. Right. So my proposal would be rather we bring we shut down the border. We bring in the pop the entire population of Taiwan. Uh, we bring in their factories, their intellectual property, their uh, their culture, and we put them right in the heart of America, distribute them wherever they wish to go uh, and make it worth their while. Meanwhile, we shut down bringing in uh, unskilled, uneducated uh, uh, people without, uh, without basis for their uh, entry into the United States who've been coming in illegally. China then can have Taiwan. The, the island could be theirs. And we could give the bring these new American citizens in from Taiwan and everybody's happy. I, I think we win. Uh, what do you think, guys? Look, my, my family came over on the Lusitania to work in smelters in a little place called Cherryvale, Kansas, back about 1910. And I think skilled, uh, skilled or unskilled labor, people who want to make a difference here should come here. Uh, people often forget American exceptionalism is not about us being better than the world. The idea is that you can come here and be the best you can be. That's American exceptionalism. You have that opportunity. And yeah, I'm all for the idea of opening up opportunity, uh, moving the foundries to the United States where it's more secure, more stable. I think the world would, would breathe a sigh of relief to know that the high-tech production of certain critical uh, 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 components, which uh, 90, I think something like 90% of, of of the world's uh, uh, computer chips that for cars go come out of Taiwan. I think people would love that. And it would de, uh, de defang the, the Chinese PCCP interest in that because I think that's part of what they want. They want that resource. They want control of that for purposes of influencing the rest of the world. So I think that would go a long way. But I'm all for it. Uh, but I just, you know, we can always do it the easy way, Lou, and make uh, – Puerto Rico, the 51st state, and uh, Taiwan, the 52nd state, and just make it all like Hawaii and put them under our flag. But I'm sure that would not be a popular thing to do. So. No, I, I can't even imagine why it occurred to you. But uh, <laughs> your thoughts, Gordon? Yeah. Um, you know, as President Trump said, um, we need to look at our immigration laws because they haven't been working. And we do need to encourage the world's best and brightest to come here because, as George Gilder well, said, the world's most important resources is people. And, Absolutely. Um, but what about Taiwan? I would love to do this. Uh, I think it would be a great way to de-escalate some tensions and to reorient the the hegemonic contests that are forming. Uh, I no more want, uh, you know, I, I understand the issue with uh, China from the CCP's, the, the Chinese perspective. Uh, culturally and every other way. But at the same time, we would not tolerate, I hope we would not tolerate, a situation in which we uh, were told that if uh, we uh, moved against uh, Cuba for bringing in China, that the Chinese would go to war. We, we would be able to have our return to the Monroe Doctrine. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, there's two aspects about Taiwan that um, we don't often talk about. One of them is that um, since the late 1800s, Taiwan has been at the center of America's Western defense perimeter. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it prevents the Chinese Navy and Army, uh, uh, sorry, Navy and Air Force from surging into the Western Pacific where we don't want them. And Taiwan is critical to the defense of Japan and essential to the defense of the Philippines. So uh, if, if China were to absorb Taiwan, they would go after other countries in the region because, as Tony pointed out, their um, ambitions are global. The other thing is that Taiwan's democracy helps us immeasurably. And the reason is that it is the one uh, reason it's, it undermines the Communist Party's core argument. The Communist Party tells the Chinese people that it needs the dictatorship of the party because they're not ready to govern themselves. But Taiwan is not only a vibrant democracy, but a successful one. And it undermines every argument the party makes. Now, the people in Taiwan don't consider themselves Chinese. We know this from self-identification surveys. But Beijing tells the Chinese people that the people in Taiwan are Chinese. And so when you have a successful, quote unquote, Chinese democracy, um, it basically tells the Chinese people, hey, we don't need the Communist Party. So... Um, you know, I'd like to see Taiwan remain vibrant and remain a friend of the United States. And I believe that we should do more um, to make sure that we maintain that ring of democracies along China's periphery. Yeah. When I, when I talk about actually bringing Taiwan to the United States, I mean that we have more than ample space for them. Uh, we have they're a population of what, 24 or 5 million people, 24 million. And uh, we could absorb that. We're demonstrating it right now. We've got something like 15 million people come into the country illegally, in addition to the 4 million people, 5 million people who've been brought in. I mean, this is a win-win for the United States. I think the people of Taiwan would consider it, don't you? I think some people would come, um, and we know that because they, in fact, have come. Um, But I think, you know, most people in Taiwan are, they they view themselves as Taiwanese. They want to maintain their own culture and identity, and they that's realize a, they can best do that at home. And and that's true of a lot of people, but it, it's especially true of Taiwan now because China keeps on telling them they're Chinese, and the people in Taiwan say, oh, no, we're not. I mean, in self-identification surveys, the most recent one showed, I think it was 83% of uh, people on the island consider themselves to be Taiwanese only. And only three and a half to four percent consider themselves to be Chinese only. Okay, so that I'm, shows you that they they want to keep their own society. Okay, I'm putting you down as strongly opposed to to Dobbs' brilliant idea. <laughs> I want to turn to Cuba, and it looks to me like the uh, the the possible onset of another uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, except for one thing. Uh, the impaired puppet president is doing exactly what Xi Jinping tells him to do. Blinken doesn't know where Cuba is. Uh, Jake Sullivan is, uh, I have no idea what he does because he has disappeared. Uh, This is a B-level national security team that is now, uh, except for the appearance of Blinken over the weekend, I, I mean, they're invisible and they're inept. What in the world is going to happen and how and what should happen with Cuba and China now enter uh, intervening into the Western Hemisphere? Well, let me. Well, Lou, I heard you say D level as in um, David, not B level as in Bravo. So I assume that D level is what you meant because they are D level and we have seen the world fall apart. You're a top grader, partner. Yeah. <laughs> And I, have, well, I I was trying to be generous. Uh, on a, I, I'm, 
I can understand the confusion yeah. because I'm not normally that easy a grader when it comes to the Marxist left. Uh, thoughts on Cuba and what we should do, Tony? Well, first, China is related to this directly because of Lourdes, the Lourdes signet facility. Uh, China has certain uh, intelligence blind spots. One of them is signals intelligence. That's why they have to have it open. By the way, I called John Kirby out the day he lied about it. Oh, we don't know anything. About it. It's like they they knew for the, the the entire last two years, Lou. And China needs that, and that's something we should be opposing vigorously. They want to know how our eastern United States military facilities are going to react. And they have certain weaknesses regarding satellites, too. That's why they have to use a balloon. Why would we, need we to be cautious of them? Why would we, Tony, why would we even countenance any possible uh, entry of the China into this hemisphere? It's already, they've it's, already moved into Panama. They are working through the Central America, uh, Brazil, across right. South America. We are acting like... We're, we're, it's, they're indolent. Well, there's some combination of a lot of N-words. Uh, they are absolutely insufferable. This administration doesn't care what's happening whatsoever in this hemisphere. Now, Lewis, I've said there's no intelligence failures. It's all policy failures. We've advised people since the 90s on this, and we've been ignored. So I'm just saying you were correct and policy issue, not an intelligence issue. Last words, guys. Uh, Gordon, your concluding thoughts first, and then we'll go to Tony. You know, we, we have forgotten our own hemisphere, uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. And China, as you said, has made really important inroads. And we got to think about what's going to happen in Cuba. The Chinese are going to put anti-ship uh, missiles in Cuba, which means that we will not be able to leave our ports um, without danger. Um, but also, we have to think about what happened in 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis. China right now is not deterred by us. So it is not inconceivable that they would be putting um, short, intermediate, or maybe even long-range ballistic missiles on the island, tipped with nuclear weapons. <clears throat> and so um, at this point, we need to abandon our engagement policy of Havana. We have got to make sure they don't have the resources and we've got to make sure that China stays out. And by that, I mean, um, although we may not want to contemplate it, I do believe that we should be thinking blockade and other factors that would work to keep China out of Cuba, because this is an existential crisis. Tony Schaefer. I agree with everything Gordon said. And one step further, we, uh, my team, we're looking at how to come up with what we call Plan Orange for the 21st century. Uh, Plan Orange between World War I and World War II was the plan that the Army War College and Navy War College came up with as how to defeat the Japanese. And we did so in great, uh, with great effect, obviously. Uh, we need to do the same again and then apply the doctrine of the Reagan administration to how to implement it. The Reagan folks were very effective in going after and, and setting up for themselves uh, obtainable objectives within a strategy. So we need to combine those two things and figure out a way to basically, like the Reagan folks did against the Soviet Union, defeat the Chinese using the Chinese system's weaknesses against it. We're just not doing that. It can be done. We must do it immediately if we're going to be effective to, to, to create conditions for us to beat China once it becomes uh, more aggressive than it is. Tony Schaefer. And Gordon Chang, gentlemen, thanks for being with us. We appreciate your thoughts, your insight. Uh, and it's great to have you with us here on The Great America Show. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thanks, Lou, and thanks, Tony. Yeah, thank you, Gordon. Thank you, Lou.
That's all for us here today. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Our guest here Tuesday will be the pro-Trump candidate for Missouri Attorney General, Will Scharf. Please be with us. And please follow me on Truth Social and Twitter at Lou Dobbs. That's at Lou Dobbs. And our website is loudobbs.com. Thanks again. God bless you. And God bless America. <laughs>